Hey, everybody, Overrun Productions is going to be producing the New Jersey Association of Paramedic Programs Leading Edge Conference. For the first time this year, it will be done online. It is a conference that is geared toward paramedics and ALS specialties specifically. The conference will be held virtually on September 21st from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m., and you can go to www.njmedics.com slash leadingedgeconference to find out more, to register, and to participate. And we'll see you there. Hey gang, it's Dan from The Overrun. Today's interview is with a former colleague of mine who has gone on to be a chief officer in a uh, large department um, in the Western United States. The reason I'm having him on is um, maybe you know that uh, September is Suicide Prevention Month or Suicide Awareness Month. Um, We're going to focus a little bit on mental health here. And uh, my discussion with Chris uh, touches on a lot of things, touches on suicide, touches on um, our childhoods and uh, what we're doing to what Chris did basically to get through the darkness and kind of move into the light in a better place. Um, I think that's what we all should try to do. And uh, there's some really good information here, but I do want to warn some of you that it is, you know, it may be triggering for some of you. We do get kind of deep. It's kind of a full contact discussion. So if that's not for you, um, you may want to, you know, keep your finger on the pause button or, you know, skip this one. I mean, still download it. We need the stats, but, you know, it just might be something that um, might be a little upsetting to some of us. And I don't want to see that happen. So without further ado, uh, we're going to have our discussion with Chris Diver and uh, hope it uh, maybe uh, helps some people out there. You know who you are. Thanks. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, Dan, I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Doing well. So, you know, we're here, we're talking about mental health. Um, It's been a journey that, you know, you and I have gone on. you're a little bit ahead of me, I think, uh, because, you know, you're somebody that's had post-traumatic stress come through it. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm still kind of partially there on my own trip. So, um, why don't you just give the audience an idea of where, you know, where you were, what happened? Um, you know, you can be as detailed or as not detailed as you want, but I, I think what, I think what we're trying to do is just, you know, like everybody's got this story. Everybody in emergency services has Mm -hmm. had these issues. We've had these calls. We've had these problems. Mm -hmm. And especially our generation, like, you know, you and I are pretty kind of close in age. Uh, We were, you know, like a medic class apart. Um, Both came up in the same system. How we coped with things when we first got on the road and the, the people we dealt with was very, very probably damaging to us. Mm hmm. So, um, in the, you know, the idea of, you know, oh, you had a rough call, you know, uh, you know, go out, go to the bar, solve your problems, you know? And so being that, that, that is always that thing. And that was the culture. So take a, take us through, like, what, what are your, what are your thoughts and where did you, where did you end up and why did you choose what you chose? Um, so I guess I'll, I'll start at the beginning, which is always the best place to start. Cause I don't want to just jump right into, um, you know, being on calls and, and the sentinel events that every first responder, uh, witnesses and encounters. Um, so I'm a, uh, a survivor of suicide. My father, uh, completed suicide when I was five years old. I was with my mom, uh, when we found him. Um, <clears throat> so anytime, like I smell, um, the odor of, of a decom- decomposing body. I'm immediately five years old on my front porch in Hatboro, Pennsylvania. Um, so it, that kind of had um, obviously a, a negative effect on me and that I have been told by a other therapist that was basically the end of my childhood. Uh, my mother remarried shortly thereafter. We moved to New Jersey and the man that she married was a uh, physically, emotionally, and psychologically abusive, um, man. So it was, uh, you know, the, the bad upbringing, um, abusive relationships, which has then getting into being a first responder and witnessing the things that we witness. Um, 
I think the, the culmination of all of that, um, there had been several um, bad calls when I was working as on the fire department up in North Jersey uh, before I came out to uh, <clears throat> the Southwest states. Um, but uh, I would say the, the one sentinel event that really um, got me to the point where I, I knew I needed to get some help was in uh, October 2015. Um, I was working Medic 205 and we got dispatched to uh, a suicide attempt overdose, um, you know, typical run of the mill call. Right. Um, we pulled up first. No, no PD was there. We were told by Brick that they were coming, you know, and everything about, you know, I mean, it's, it's probably uh, hindsight um, and, um, you know, uh, hindsight bias that is telling me that everything about the situation and the call told us we shouldn't go in, but we went in anyway, but, um, some ladies yelling for help. So we walk in the front door, my partner and I, and, uh, some guy comes down off the, the second story landing and, and points a gun at us. Um, and, and when you say that we were brought up into, in a system that, um, doesn't really look at behavioral health as an issue, um, I, I wouldn't, I'd be very remiss in using the past tense of that because um, the, the system that we worked for um, did not react in a, a favorable way to that incident with me um, and, and my partner and, and through nobody's fault of their own. It's just, they weren't set up that way. Right. Um, you know, again, I am not pointing the finger of blame at, at anyone or any um, MICU company out there, but uh so that kind of started my... Um, I, I think that's pretty much a lot of agencies. I think the majority of agencies look at behavioral health and behavioral health maintenance as, well, you passed your site, you know, and I can speak from the law enforcement and, you know, the, the, the professional side. It's like, yeah, you passed your initial site and, you know, that's fine. So you're, you're fine. You don't have to worry about this stuff. Right. Um, you know, an interesting thing too is like, you know, you talking about your beginnings and your 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 family history and growing up in an abusive house. Isn't it odd? It seems that there's a lot of us out there like that go into these services that go into the helping profession, so to speak, that have that history. What do you think? You think that's, is it, well, I guess you could, you could look at it as, um, you know, the, the nature versus nurture. Are we in this job because we want to help others who are potentially in situations of abuse or, um, was it the abuse that said, Hey, you need to get out there and do something different with yourself? Um, I don't really, or, um, what I should sorry, misspoke there was, um, back when, I mean, my, uh, when, when my mom grew up, you know, they were, it was the, um, heavy handed discipline of, uh, yeah. the family. Um, and that just transpired. And I think now that that is, um, kind of taking a uh, a backseat, but um, obviously there are still uh, situations that arise. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think it would be an, an interesting uh, peer-reviewed topic if anybody wanted to really look into it and find out what causes um, people to get into this line of work and experience the things that we experience. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. So not to get you off to topic. Mm -hmm. So that was a horrible experience. Um, and I can be honest with you that I was working with you at that, around that time mm -hmm. and no one said anything about it. We, mm -hmm. we knew nothing about it. Um, mm -hmm. that not even to the point where like, Hey, you know, they had a rough, they had a rough time of it. Hey, can you look out for them? Or, Hey, can you talk to them? And I know that there were probably shifts that you and I worked together after that. And I never knew anything about it. Yeah, it was mostly a, um, you know, after work, um, uh, medicating myself at home um, and just saying, you know, I need the alcohol and it, it'll make me feel better. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, I know after, after that moment in time was when I, I went back to seeing a therapist and I, I realized... Um, Therapy in and of itself is very good. Um, just sitting there speaking with someone um, about what, what goes on is, is good. And I will never, never say that it's bad. 
But the one thing that I have experienced um, is that if you're not dealing with a therapist or speaking with a behavioral health professional who knows what it is that we encounter and knows what it is that we do, um, I don't find it to be, at least for me, it was not helpful. I don't want to throw anybody off track here, but if you're going in for your four o'clock appointment and that therapist three o'clock appointment is the overwork overburdened housewife and the five o'clock appointment is the stockbroker who for whatever reason can't get his shit together um you being bookended by that is not going to help you because your therapist doesn't know exactly what it is that you experience and it took me a long time to figure that out and realize that i needed to not just see somebody who has read um the um uh, just went out of my head the the psych book um the dsm5 thank you yes yeah. that's it the dsm5 i have the word the letters emdr in my head you don't just want somebody who has read the dsm5 and say okay chris come on and sit down let's, let's sit on my comfy couch and let's talk um i need someone who knows what it is that i see as a firefighter as a paramedic as a police officer or whatever my job as as a corrections officer, I need someone who has been there and has walked in my shoes. And and since I have found someone that does that, it, it has really really helped me. So that's a that's a really good point you make. Not every psychological professional is the same. Um, you know, it, I I've been pretty. I've been pretty open about on the show that, you know, I, I regular, I see a psychiatrist, I take my little pill every day and it helps. Um, it certainly doesn't make things perfect, but it makes things tolerable. I'm, you know, probably happier to be around and things like that. Um, but they don't understand, you know, um, he is not a trauma professional. He doesn't understand trauma. He doesn't understand the cumulative effects of it. Um, he sees me as, okay, he's anxiety, a little OCD, you know, mixed in and, you know, that's that. Um, there's not a lot of going into where, you know, which is where I'm, I'm looking to add that other layer. Um, so that's a really important thing for the audience is, you know, if you're going to look for somebody, you really need to look for somebody who understands us. Yes. Um, and definitely take the time to talk to them and shop, like shop around, so to speak. Don't just Correct. grab the first name in the book and go for it. Yeah. So let's go back to, so you have this horrible incident and, you know, on top of all the other things, you know, I mean, it's this, this constant, we're always dealing with bad calls. We're always dealing with sick people. We're always dealing with people, you know, in the fire service, people lose their entire livelihood. They lose everything in their world. Um, you know, police departments, you see the worst of the worst. And, you know, they're almost like chronic subtraumatic events, but they do mm -hmm. add up over time. You know, it's yes. like that football player. It's, it's not the big hits that knock you, that really cause the problems. It's the, it's the everyday, just the constant mm -hmm. bang, 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 bang. Mm -hmm. So that, that was a bellwether incident. You called it a sentinel event. So what happened after that? After the October incident? Yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. So um, I was seeing, I hadn't been, see, I hadn't seen a therapist for quite a while. Um, and I realized that I needed to go talk to somebody. So I found someone, um, very, very nice woman named Valerie. Um, and she was really good. And I, I just, again, looking at it, looking at backwards at it as with, with the hindsight bias, it just, again, it's good to sit down and talk to someone, but if they can't help you to channel where things are and where they're going and how to stop thinking about it every day, um, just talking to somebody about your issues is, uh, you know, I don't have to pay $25 or $50, whatever my copay is. Um, again, I can just go, go down to the office lounge and sit there and talk to the, the bartender or the guy on the corner and he'll tell me his story of woe and I'll tell him mine and we'll clink glasses and we'll be good to go. Um, and that's when, so I, I came out here to Arizona um, <clears throat> and I started um, because I wasn't working. Um, I had retired from the fire service, wasn't working out here. Um, I don't have to get up in the morning so I can have another drink. So my, uh, my one or two drinks um, a night turned into four or five. My one or two bottles every month or so turned into one or two bottles a week. Um, so then I, I started looking for another therapist. Uh, 
um, things at home between my wife, my Karen, everybody knows Karen. Um, uh, uh, things at home between Karen and I were, were derailing and then re-railing and then derailing more frequently. Um, so I, I, I found a therapist out here. I went to her for the initial appointments. Things seemed to be going well. Um, gave her a bit of background on my, um, where I was with my behavioral health that I'd been diagnosed with PTSD. I'd been diagnosed with depression. Um, I'd been diagnosed with anxiety. Um, and she, the next meeting I had with her, um, we talked for about 45 minutes or so. And then she took out a piece of paper and she was taking notes and she says, well, Chris, you know, I, I really think that you have PTSD. And I looked at her like, what? Mm -hmm. Um, so then I left and I basically, I called her on the way home and I said, I, I won't be seeing you again. It was the first time I ever fired a therapist before. Um, and that was, um, eye opening for me that I needed to take charge of my behavioral health. So I, I called, um, I, or I went on Google rather, um, and found a, um, counselor out here, a, a company called transitions. And they do, they do, um, they primarily, um, only work with first responders. So there, there are two therapists, um, and I'll, I'll mention their name transitions that the, the two therapists, Dane and Jen don't work for transitions anymore. Okay. But when I, when I found them, they were with this company and, um, they did, um, only first responders, um, and they also ran a group therapy. Um, so it was a group of first responders and they ran a intensive outpatient program that was geared just towards first responders. Um, so I got into that program and that was incredibly eye-opening for me to sit there and um, not only with other first responders and have watched them be become emotional about um, the stuff that they've encountered, but it, it just to sit there with my therapist um, who was in the army, um, active duty. She was deployed overseas. So she's, you know, she's been there and she's put her time, um, in with not just being, um, having the master's degree in, uh, behavioral health, but also with actually being boots on the ground and understanding what it is that we do and what we go through. Um, out here in the, in the Phoenix Valley, they have, um, crisis response units, so there are civilian behavioral health professionals that are in the fire stations um, and they, rot, they, res, they have their own response vehicle and they respond on every traumatic call. Um, just not, not only there for the firefighters and the police officers, but there for the family members. Um, so if their child dies or their house burns down or whatever the situation is, they have immediate behavioral health counseling. Um, before really? the hose, wow. before the hose lines are even picked up. Yeah, it's it's an incredible, incredible um, program that they have out here. So both Dana and Jen rode with um, the crisis response unit. So it's you know it it helps me. So to they see. have so they have firsthand understanding. Oh, absolutely. They yeah. see the same yeah. things. They understand what you know what we go through, and they 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 have a real sense for the experience. Correct. Okay. So Correct. That, that's a that's a big, big difference. Yes. Um, because it's very hard. I, I've found it's been very hard for me to, to sit and tell people what I do or, you know, the things that have happened and, and why, because I don't think they fathom it. I don't mm -hmm. think they understand it. Mm -hmm. um, so you talk about group therapy and that's something that, that probably terrifies the shit out of yes. <laughs> first responders. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, listen, let's be honest. We'll sit around a table. We'll sit in a parking lot at shift change and goof around. But when it, came, when it comes down to actually talking about feelings or, you know, something of that nature, that's a real, real bright line that a lot of people don't like to cross. How, how was that going in? Um, terrifying is, the, is the, ber the best word right there. You, you, you certainly nailed it. Um, so I was in a room with... Um, there were seven other people in there, uh, two women and um, myself and then six other men. Um, and it was, uh, I just kind of sat there and like I was, you know, had my coffee and I was, um, I felt like I was crawling out of my skin. Like my anxiety was, was peaked. Uh, and then this guy, John, who was a, a law enforcement officer out here, he, he started talking about 
issues that he's had at home and um, family life and work life. And, and this guy is uh, um, a power lifter. Um, so he's, you know, as, as big as, as the couch. Um, and he sat there and just started to sob. Uh, and I, I don't want to say I've never seen a grown man cry before because I have, but just listening to his story and saying, this guy knows exactly what I'm going through. I know exactly what he's going through. And pretty soon the whole room was crying and it was, uh, it allowed me to open up, um, in a way that I had never opened up before. So um, once, once the shields went down, so to speak, you were able to actually yeah. like share and depend on it and mutually support each other. Yeah. Once I knew I was in a safe space where it wasn't going to be just somebody saying, um, okay, well, I'm glad we got that out. Pat me on the back and we'll see you next Tuesday. It was, it was certainly much more um, on a physical and emotional level than, than anything I'd ever experienced before. Um, and that, that come, I mean, that goes all the way back to um, when I was having a hard time in school. Um, my mother's favorite line was, well, you need to bite the bullet. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? And that was basically her way of saying, get over it. Well, that's the old, um, yeah, that's the old school generation sure. of, you yeah. know, well, it sucks. Yeah, of course it sucks. Just deal yeah. with it. It and, sucked for everybody and I got through it. Just deal with it. Uh, right. And that doesn't happen. You know, people, people deal with it um, in the wrong ways. Uh, I mean, September is uh, the National Suicide Awareness Month. Um, so I'm going to be going, when I start shift again on Monday, I'm going to be going in and just talking to guys about uh, this kind of stuff and just say, you know, I'm going to promote this whenever you tell me this um, podcast is going to air. I'm going to make sure I email everybody in my battalion and say, this is what I did guys. If you want to listen to it, great. And let's have a conversation about it. Yeah. I, I, I think it's great. I, th I, I think for a long time we've hot, we've hid this, we've stigmatized it. Um, you know, we, we've ostracized people. I, I know one person who basically completed suicide. He was, he was, uh, he was police officer at the scene on nine 11 uh, was on the pile afterwards and when he started showing signs and showing things there wasn't support it was more like oh he's kind of off the rails here mm -hmm. let's let's pull back away from this um when did you when did you start what were the first things you started to notice what were the things that really if you think back now just just for the benefit of people who might be in at the beginning of this journey what were the things that started it for you? Cause I, I know when I started realizing, Holy shit, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, uh, angry all the time, very irritable. Um, even when I was, um, happy and smiling at work, um, there was just, you know, in the back of my head, anger, um, angry at everything. Um, you know, no, no policy that the, um, paramedic or fire department put out was good. There was, you know, everything was just detrimental, um, drinking a lot, lashing out at home a lot, um, and finding happiness in nothing. Um, yeah, that feeling of always being on edge to me, yes. is, it was really a harbinger for me that like everything torqued me up. Nothing mm -hmm. made me really happy. It was mm -hmm. always a problem. You know, it was always some crap that was going on that you had to deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and taking things personally that, um, anything that went wrong was a, um, a spotlight put on you rather than, um, it's, it's a simple corrective action. You just, you know, you need to upload your strips to this chart. It's not nothing personal to you. Um, so yeah, there, that was, there was a lot of that. Um, and then, you know, just saying, oh, well, uh, it's that's on them. It's not me. I'm going to have another drink and that'll make me feel better. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I can see that. And that, that's a slippery slope. You know, you, 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 you definitely look at things, you know, like, Oh, this is bullshit. This is this, everything becomes bullshit. That's my, that's my thing. It's like when you start mm -hmm. realizing that, um, you know, and you, it's hard for you to understand that, but because it's so subtle, and you attribute it to, you know, I, I'm tired or I'm sore. I'm not feeling good. Mm -hmm. uh, I had a rough day at work or there was a lot of calls or I didn't get any downtime or, and it's not, it's really your chemistry and your brain's off. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah, everything yeah. you everything you do after that seems to be just a way to balance that chemistry. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a term for that called uh, amygdala hijack, and the your your amygdala kind of controls your emotions, your fight or flight instinct in your brain, and I kind of equate it to a harbor, and people have equated it to a pail of sand or a pail of water, and it can only hold so much. And after a while, it's going to spill out. And when it spills out, your body doesn't know how to react to that. You're constantly in this fight or flight, and you can't flee all the time. So you feel like you're constantly on edge and ready to fight somebody, not, not so much in a physical, um, uh, I'm going to put my hands on you way, but just your brain is constantly, you have that constantly peaked awareness of your situation. And you could be in a completely safe space, um, uh, sitting on your couch watching a show, but you are so peaked and so on edge, you know, the, right. the, the dog could just make a, a noise or something could go on. The refrigerator kicks on and you're jumping. Um, right, that hypervigilance. I've heard yes, you're hypervigilance. You're absolutely right. hypervigilant with everything that goes on. No, and again, it's not just being at work where you need good situational awareness. You need to be that hypervigilant, but it's your body doesn't know how to turn that off because your brain, your amygdala is so overwhelmed with everything you've seen over the course of your, not only, and every, I have a heart, a little bit of a, when you say, you know, start where, where did you start feeling these things? It's because I experienced um, my father's suicide at, at five years old. I, I don't know how to just say, well, in 1997, I started as a career firefighter. Um, and then it started from there because it started way, way before that. Yeah. I, I kind of, you know, my, my situation was a little, was very different from yours, but um, I kind of liken it to, um, you know, like water in a crack and there's one event and it freezes the water and then the cracks get bigger. Like for me, I always was a little neurotic. I was always, you know, maybe a little nervous and, you know, I grew growing up in a house where there's a lot of arguing, a lot of fighting, a lot of drinking. Um, you know where you're kind of like, you're, you're a little tense, but you know, you know, when there's the peaks and valleys after I got hurt, um, those, that crack magnified. And that's where, for me, that's where like, it seems like our youth, our experiences of our youth get kind of put into it, put you into this situation where you're predisposed to this. And if you're not careful, those cracks get bigger and bigger. And for some people, it just totally fractures. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's kind of how I always saw it. Um, and you know, that's the, that's where a lot, I think a lot of our colleagues are who are going to be listening to this. I think they're in that situation where they've, they're in this position They're you know, they're like you and I, where, you know, look, they know something's not right. Um, they don't know where to turn. They're afraid to say to somebody, Hey, I have these issues. Hey, I have these problems. Um, I'm self-medicating. You know, I, I think we all self-medicate to a degree, um, in this, in this profession. And I think it's, I, honestly, I think in all the emergency services profession, I think it's a disproportionate, um, default. Um, you know, um, I had a friend of mine who died, um, you know, and, uh, that was the response was literally, okay, well, we're, we're, we're going out, we're going again, you know, going drinking. Cause mm-hmm. what do you do? Mm-hmm. Certainly don't want to talk about your feelings with a bunch of, you know, cops and paramedics and firemen. You mm-hmm. don't want to talk about that because you can't be, you can't be weak. You can't show weakness. And that's a perceived weakness instead of a strength. Mm-hmm. So you're at that point. So what, what do you, so what else did you do to fix that? So tell me about you, you, you kind of went on a novel therapy. That's something that not a lot of people hear uh, about. Um, honestly, I only heard about it talking to you a couple over the last couple of weeks. Um, so tell us more about this and how it might help somebody who's struggling with these issues. Maybe, you know, maybe they do have anxiety. Maybe they've got PTSD. Maybe they've come back from overseas or they've seen some shit, so to speak. And, you know, they're struggling. They want to, you know, they don't want to drink all the time. They don't want to mm-hmm. use medications. They don't want to numb themselves. They want to live. They want to mm-hmm. be 
good with their families. They want to be good with their, their partners and their spouses. And they certainly don't want to be that person at work that's just the grouchy, burned out, you know, miserable, pain in the ass that nobody wants to work with. Mm-hmm. So where do you go from there? Uh, so I started um, writing about my, my past history and um, presenting about um, PTSD and uh, my behavioral health. And I felt that that was going to be my catalyst was to get it out there and help other people. And what that was doing was helping me for the time being. But um, over the long term, I was still having the negative um, thoughts in my head. I was still sitting on the couch and watching the sappy Hallmark commercials and sobbing. You know, I found myself getting overly emotional at a damn commercial. And it was like, there is something seriously going on with me. I'm taking care of this by speaking to it, but there's more to it than that. So um, probably a year and a half after uh, I started seeing my therapist, Dana, um, she started to talk to me about something called EMDR. Um, and it's eye movement, um, um, desensitization and reprocessing. So it's, um, there's a couple different ways that you can do it. When it was first developed, it was your therapist, um, touching you. Like you would have your hands on your knees and they would just tap, um, your hands as you spoke about something. What I do um, and the way that it's evolved now is there is a small bar. It looks like a small sound bar for your television, and it has a light that goes back and forth on it, um, a little blue LED or a diode light, and you follow that with your eyes. Hmm. Um, and if you want to close your eyes, you can. So then you have these two um, buzzers, so to speak, in your hands, and they vibrate left and right, left and right. And what it does is as you talk about the trauma that you've experienced, um, it allows you to speak to the trauma and focus on your eyes are focusing on the movement and your hands are focused on that tactile um, stimulation. And it helps you to reprocess what has gone on. And I was the first one to call bullshit on that. And, you know, Dana would laugh at me and I'm like, there is no... (laughs) no fucking way that this is going to work. Um, so I, I can tell you, Dan, that four years ago, um, I would never even told you that my father committed suicide. Um, I never I, knew. I, I, had don't think, I don't think anybody knew. I have an ex-wife who doesn't know that my father committed suicide. Wow. So it was like, I never shared this stuff because- The shields are always up, right? As soon as I started talking about it, I would begin to cry. And I would look at that um, internally the, the masculine, the masculinity of it was that was weakness. And I never wanted to show that weakness. Um, so then I started doing this with Dana and now I can sit here and say, yeah, I was, I was five years old and I, it was cold and we were driving back from Cape May and I had my shoes in my hand. And when my mom opened up the door and that stench of my father's decomposing body came out. I was so scared. I threw my shoe in the door. I wouldn't be able to have that conversation with you four years ago because I would be on the, in the fetal position in the floor crying because I didn't know how to process that. So that is something that I can speak to EMDR saying that shit works. I mean, it is unbelievable how much it works. Um, and I, I know just from, and, and you and I had talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Um, tomorrow is, is uh, the 900 days since I quit drinking. And That's I realized that, thank you. I realized that I was doing a lot of good um, sitting in my sessions with Dana and sitting in the group therapy. But then I was coming home and I was still poisoning myself. Um, and again, it's just, it's just empty calories. You think that it's helping you. Um, so I, I, I probably could go back to just socially drinking. Um, but you know, I've been in situations at friends houses or they've come to the house and I'm just like, nah, you know, I just, I don't need it. Um, Karen still drinks wine. She, she enjoys her, her summer cocktails. So there's a, there's a bottle of vodka in the bar and she was just in Jersey for a couple of weeks. And I went into the bar, um, to get a, uh, a piece of paper that I wanted to write a note on. Um, and I looked at the bottle of vodka and I was like, Oh, cool. 
closed the door and just walked away from it where I could have said, Hey, Karen's not here. She'll never know if I have a drink, but I just, I'm beyond it. I don't need that stuff. Um, I you, never and did. And you attribute that directly to the therapy. Oh, absolutely. 110%. Yes. 110%. And, and just for the record, you're not doing a 12 step thing. You're not doing anything no. like that. No, I never, I never went through that. Um, and it, nothing against people who go through AA. Um, I'm an atheist had been since I was a young kid when, um, after my, I remember my, my grandmother, my mom's mother was, um, a devout Catholic. I think she felt that when she died, she was bumping Jesus out of the way and she was sitting at the right <laughs> hand of God. And he was, he was going to be down there a couple of, a couple of seats down the pew. Um, so I, I was raised Catholic. I, I went to catechism. I did, did that whole thing. Um, and I remember asking my grandmother once we were having a conversation, I was probably 10 or 11. Um, and I said to her, if God loves me, why did he take away my dad? And her answer was, well, that's his will. And I was, you know, I didn't know the, the term fuck that when I was 10, but that's how I feel like, yeah, fuck that. So I didn't want to do yeah. AA simply because it, it has a lot of um, religious overturn, over, overtone in it. And I yeah. just, I knew as soon as I heard that kind of stuff, I would step back and say, that's not going to help me. Um, so basically I, I finished a bottle of vodka, um, and the next morning I just said, you know what, I'm done. And that was it. And I, and I'm done. And I haven't had a drink. Like I said, tomorrow will be 900 days and I have not had a drop of right. alcohol. It was, it was hard for a while. Karen and I didn't go out because usually when we would go out to eat at a restaurant, we would sit at the bar, sure. um, talk with the other people at the bar, talk with the bartenders, um, and now we still do that. We still sit at the bars and she's like, are you okay? For a while, she was like, are you okay with this? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Um, and never, you know, never, never had a drink. And it just didn't bother me because I was somehow, I was just able to say, this is not helping you. This is making you worse. You need to continue down this trail that you're going. This is a long path that you're on right. um, and just stop doing it. And I have not done it. Yeah. And, you know, that's such a unique thing because I think culturally, um, fire, law enforcement, EMS just gets sucked along in the vortex. That is our go-to. That is yes. the go-to medication. Uh, had a bad job. Boss gave you a hard time. You had bullshit. Uh, you know, um, even to the point where you and I know the places where, uh, you know, you have the kegs and eggs in the morning and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's a real, real slippery slope and you get into that habitual, you needed to sleep, you needed to relax and, mm -hmm. you know, um, it leads to other problems too. Um, some people are actually very well regimented about it. Uh, some people fall by the wayside. I know at least one person in, in our profession who drank themselves to death, mm -hmm. um, couldn't stop. Um, you know, that is a thing. And I, we, we don't discuss, I, I think we hide it. I think we're afraid of it. I think we don't discuss it. And I think it should be a goal that, you know, you know, I'm not saying that, that drinking's bad or it's evil. It's not inherently one or the other. What it is, is a coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a coping mechanism where you don't have the ability to treat the underlying issues, I think that's where you end up going to it. And now okay. that you, you find, you know, when you find stuff like this, you don't need that. I have, yes, I have certainly been able to channel um, my, my thoughts and what, what I need to cope is just, um, just me. Um, I, I have a, I, I tattooed on my arm there that I am enough and I get to look at that every day um, because that's how it is. I'm enough that this, what I need is me and I need to stay focused um, on the positivity and negative things happen. Um, I've experienced a lot of different things out here since I got back into the fire service. You know, everybody thinks that, um, oh, it's different back East and it's not, we see, we see the same crap every day. Um, but I'm able to process it a little bit better. And my, my Wednesday afternoons with Dana, um, we don't do EMDR every time we have, we, we go at it for probably three or four weeks, um, in a row. And then we stop and take, and we take a break and that, what that allows, the brain to understand that it needs to reprocess those things. And once um, your behavioral health professional sees that you have successfully reprocessed those, then you can start on 
with other things. It's not a, um, it's not a one-time event. Um, and you know, your, your, uh, your therapist will, will indicate to you when they feel that you are, um, done with it, so to speak, if, if you're ever done with it, I mean, it could be something that you just revisit once a year, just to keep your brain understanding that, no, we're not going backwards with this. We're, we're, we're continuing on our positive forward path. Yeah. Not going backwards. That's something that, you know, for me, that's, that's what I do. I go backwards. I still think about things that happened. God, 30, 40 years ago. It's sure. just like, I do like, too. What the hell? I still think of them, but they don't adversely affect me when I think of them. Okay. Um, that's, that's the difference. You're never going to forget them. Your, your, those memories will always be there. The difference is you're no, you're no longer going to give it um, credibility over you and allow it to control you in the way that talking about my father's suicide did. Um, you know, the, again, there's, you know, I know of one, one paramedic who knew that um, my dad killed himself and it was because of the, the situation. And, and we can talk about that offline. I don't want to say names. No, 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 no. That's fine. I want to talk to you what your thoughts about critical incident stress debriefing. Um, because everybody talks that that's, that seems to be like the immediate mental first aid that they always provide to people. Um, and the other thing I want to do is I want to kind of talk like you're a leader now, you're, you're, you've got a battalion, you've got young, you've got young people underneath you, you're a leader. What do you say to the rookies? What do you say to people coming on the job? Um, so we'll start with it. So give me three seconds and I'll, okay. I'll, I'll start this up. So Chris, you know, when we talk about therapy, most of the times what emergency responders, especially out, you know, on the East, and I don't know what the West is doing. You guys seem a little more progressive than we are um, just by nature. Um, one of the things that you hear about a lot is critical incident stress debriefing. Um, I, I've been through it. I, I, I'm kind of skeptical of it. I don't know that it works because I think it, the, the culture doesn't let it work. What do you think? Um, I never actually sat through a, uh, an actual debrief, um, just cause the, I was with that stigma of, you know, whatever we all, we all get, we all get it. Um, so the, the organization I'm with now we have, um, we, we partner with a company called, uh, CPR, um, compassion. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember what the heck it stands for, but yeah, that's okay. we, we, um, we contract with, with them and it is a group of uh, behavioral health specialists and they are available 24 hours a day to us. And we have uh, members of our organization who are trained by them. So whenever a um, sentinel event occurs, um, each battalion chief has it within his purview to take those units out of service. We go back to the firehouse and we call in one of our trained, each one of our platoons has two or three each, each meet mem members each. Um, and one or two members will come out and we'll sit there and we'll do the debrief right then. It is not mandatory for you to participate, but it is mandatory for you to attend. Okay. Um, and if you choose to not say, hey, I, I'm sorry, I got to go home, then we, we take you off the truck. There's no um, penalty and you go home. As long as you can drive home, you're not going to the bar, that kind of stuff. We do make sure, sure. that those, sure. those um, safeguards are in place. And we actually do a lot for the, or the um, individual. So just last week, uh, we had a gentleman, one of our uh, engineers, come back to work, and he was out for a year. He had been uh, some emotional stuff, whatever his history was, but he was um, drinking a lot, became a functional alcoholic, much like me and was drinking and getting on um, social media and bashing the organization, bashing the chief. And he was finally pulled in and he said, look, you know, I have a problem. He was um, off for an entire year um, getting therapy, went through um, the IAFF um, rehab program out in North Carolina um, and just came back to the organization and has started doing his training all over again to get him back um, into the job, which I think is, um, incredible. That's, that's remarkable. It, it is. It, it really is. I mean, there, I don't know too many most other places would have shit canned him and just been absolutely. Done. Yep. And, and been done. Um, we will replace him 
in a minute, you know, he's here Monday, he's gone Tuesday, and now he's just a memory. He's somebody um, else's problem. Right. So or, it's, or, or, uh, or worse, you let them go to some other agency and be the problem there. Um, you know, that happens a lot. Yeah. That, that's very remarkable. Yeah. I, I really enjoy where um, our organization is um, in, in regards to that. They take the behavioral health stuff very, very seriously, um, which, which I appreciate. I really do. So define, you, you mentioned Sentinel event a couple times. So for, for the people that aren't in your agency, um, what, what do you guys define as, and I'm saying guys as guys and girls, you get the whole thing, right? Um, encompassing all pronouns. Um, what's a Sentinel event? Um, that Sentinel event is kind of a, a term that I, I, I heard once um, from somebody at the National Fire Academy and just kind of in, in, enveloped that as, as my own. But a Sentinel event okay. is something that, um, for a police officer, it could be a, um, you know, you had to use your service weapon in, in the line of duty, um, okay. for firefighters, it could be a, a mayday situation that they're involved in, or somebody on their company was involved in a line of duty, death, a serious line of duty injury, anything that, um, you experience that's outside your normal daily run of the mill 911 okay. call. So pediatric that, resuscitation. Yes. Yeah. That to me is um, a sentinel event. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Shoot, you know, responding into a mass shooting or something Correct. like that, like a real, yes. you know, the real, the, 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 the big ones that we quote unquote, always seek out that we really want to be at, but mm -hmm. in reality. Yeah. No, you don't. We, no, you don't. Nope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure you, want, don't. you want to be off that day. Yeah. yeah. You want to be, you want to be on vacation that day. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, so you're a leader, you're a chief officer. Um, you've been around a little bit. Uh, you have, you're at the point now as, as, as I am in our careers where, you know, there's a lot more younger ones, uh, than there are senior ones to us. What do you say to the young firefighter, the young recruit, the young person in school right now who wants to get to where you are, who wants to be in the professions, whether it's law enforcement, EMS, firefight, doesn't matter, whatever you choose to do, you're in that helping world what do you say to your people? What do you, how do you do this uh, so that this doesn't, so that they can learn from your experience? Um, I've had a, a little bit of conversation with some of the guys um, about this. Um, but one way that I, I broke the ice um, was when I was, I had just gotten hired here um, and a few months a few months before I was hired, I was diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer. Um, okay. So I was really remiss in, in telling anybody about it. I certainly never mentioned it during my interviewing process because I was afraid they wouldn't hire me. Sure. Um, so once I, once I, I broke the news to my, uh, the assistant chief, um, he said to me, you know, it's up to you, but I would really like you to become an advocate for us um, with the clean gear and they do we have extractors in the fire stations that they can wash their gear and every quarter the gear goes to um, our fleet office and they do 24-hour um, soaking so we do a lot of stuff to get the carni wow. carcinogens out of the apparatus and out of the fire stations um, so I said yeah you know I, I, I wouldn't mind doing that and, and it certainly helped me so I, I sat down with each one of the companies and I said uh, you know, I, I got to tell you guys, I, I have prostate cancer. Um, it's occupational back from the job in Jersey. I'm going to have surgery, but this is, I want you to guys to um, look at me and say, hell, if it can happen to the chief, it can happen to anybody. So I have had um, a couple of conversations with guys um, basically doing like a, a tailboard talk after some um, rough calls that we've gone in. And after the one call that we had recently after the CISM guys left, um, I sat and talked to the guys about a little bit about my history and said, you know, there's nothing wrong with talking to these CPR guys. There's nothing wrong with going through your EAP and finding help. And I would suggest you start early because then you understand and you can reprocess these traumatic events probably a little bit better than the older generation like us can where we're starting um with years and years of uh bad incidents and bad sentinel events in our in our past rather than one or two and 
looking at our entire career in front of us. I think if you got out in front of that a little bit better and understood what the negative aspects of what we inter, um, what we see on the job and how that adversely affects us, you're better prepared um, once you, if you start to seek help at a younger age. I think that's a perfect place to end it. Um, okay. I think uh, that is wisdom from, you know, somebody who's been through it, uh, who's, you know, been through the darkness and has come out the other side to a point where there's some light. Um, I agree with you a thousand percent. I think our younger people, we need to tell them that this is, a, that there is no stigma to this anymore and that it's okay. Um, hiding it is a weakness. Um, mm -hmm. We used to think that hiding it was a strength and it's not. It's not. Yeah. Um, the, and the, the one thing I will add to that one caveat is yes, asking, uh, asking for help is a sign of leadership. It's not a sign of weakness. Um, and if you ask somebody for help and they dismiss you and think that you're being, um, weak about it, then go find somebody else. Um, because there's plenty of people out there who will listen to you. And you definitely need, if you feel that you need the help, once you get to that point, that is the biggest step down that path to recovery and to getting help is for you to sit there and realize that I need help. And you're not able to get that help from as much as your wife is a, or husband is a caring, nurturing, they understand you, they hug you when you feel the need to be held you need more than that. Um, yeah, so just, just understand that, that asking for help is, is leadership. It's not weakness. That's awesome. Chris, I want to really thank you for coming uh, on the show and talking about this. I know it's not easy. It's never easy for us to talk about the, you know, our issues and the things that have held us back. Uh, I really think you're going to help uh, some of the younger people and a lot of our audience. So, um, you know, uh, I think you've done a remarkable job. I've known you a long time. Uh, you've done, you know, you, you've really come through the fire, so to speak. And I uh, just want to wish you all the best. Thanks. Dan. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And um, by all means, let's do it again sometime. And I, you know, if you get a group of people in there that we want to all talk as a group, I'm, I'm fine with that too. That'd be great. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, we'll have you back. Uh, it's it's uh, it's definitely a topic that we touch on regularly, and uh, it's something we're not going to walk away from. Uh, Great. No, no more hiding. Cool. Excellent. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. All right. <laughs>